Welcome to another episode of The Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And this is another episode in the series Spectrum Analysis entitled Equality versus Fairness. Now, um, this is a very special episode triggered off by today's announcement, uh, even though we're not necessarily listening to the episode on the right date, um, that uh, Victoria is about to go into stage four lockdown. So for the few of you who aren't family and friends and who don't live in Victoria, uh, who perhaps, like me, sometimes bury your head uh, in the sand like an ostrich, uh, I'm just going to throw to Grant to explain what the Victorian stage four lockdown looks like. Okay, so we've got the first half of the lockdown announced a couple of hours ago. Uh, So the idea is that um, there's going to be a curfew. So between 8pm and 5am, unless you are on your way to work or working or giving care or receiving care, you will not be out of your house. Also, you are not allowed to shop or exercise beyond five kilometers from your house. And only one person from each household is allowed to go shopping and only once per day. So is that, is that everything? Oh, and all school students, including VCE, are now going to be on remote learning. So that's stage four, which is metropolitan Melbourne. The rest of Victoria is going to stage three because they weren't on stage three, which is remote learning and only leaving the house for exercise, working, caring. I feel like I've missed something. There's normally four of them, but yes. Stage three is the one most people are familiar with, especially like in Australia. It's basically what everyone was in earlier this year. Mm. But Victoria is the first one to go to stage four. So this is the new area. Yeah. There will be some more announcements tomorrow for us, which will probably be the past for you about workplaces. Mm. So I guess where where this sort of came up and why I, I wanted to talk about it was the for, from an from an autism perspective, a lot of the things that we've discussed uh, with our children and a lot of the issues that particularly Jake goes through is about distinguishing between the concept of equality versus fairness. So, um, for me, as a person with autism, I, I, uh, I, these lockdowns, while they technically haven't affected my day-to-day life because I am still um, uh, an introvert and a hermit, ultimately, I think there's this sort of un- sense of unfairness in that despite me and the people that I know doing all the right things, and and. Let me be clear, we still don't 100% know what factors have contributed to the fact that Victoria's numbers just haven't responded in the way that they did the first lockdown, um, nor the way that was expected this time around. But there's certainly a feeling from my, uh, from my end of unfairness in that despite my best efforts, despite following all the rules and taking all the precautions and potentially going beyond what, was, what the bare minimum was, this is still happening. Um, and this is despite the fact that even this stage four lockdown probably doesn't affect my life in any gro- to any great significance, other than the fact that I may not be able to travel to Costco, um, which is only say a once in a quarter loss, and really in the grand scheme of things, not that big a deal. And based on what you saw at Costco today, you might not want to go to Costco. Oh my god! I drove past Costco and the line went around the block. It was insane. Now I imagine they probably had some social distancing restrictions on top of that as well. But dear God, I mean, I've been to Costco on a Sunday. This is. So far beyond that, I I I've been um I was talking to my my best friend uh early this morning and he was saying that there were already been rumblings of stage four restrictions. So I imagine that the same rumblings had reached other people, and so the second wave of hoarding began. Hooray, hoarding! Yeah, so I, I think that's that's what what this sort of this second this sort of next level lockdown has triggered in me emotionally. 
Yeah, I have to say that one of the things about these like levels of lockdown is sometimes I look at how different it is from what we're already doing, and with stage four, it's not really that different. Like we don't have VCE kids, so our kids were already remote learning. Um, in Victoria, they are allowing special needs children to go to school, so the kids are allowed to go to school. Uh, but our decision has been for them not to go to school because we think that would cause more anxiety than being at home. Plus, we did consult with them specifically and we let them choose because we're lucky enough to have kids with level one autism, meaning that there is some degree of negotiation that's available to us that may not be available to all uh, parents of children with, with uh, additional or special needs. Yes, we, within autism, we do have verbal kids, which is something to be noted because not all autistic children are verbal. And let's remember Many that obviously communication is expressive and receptive, so so they have the advantage of both, which is yeah. useful. So um, so we do acknowledge how lucky we are. Yeah, and so so we 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 made the conscious effort to talk to them about it and give them the options, and ultimately they chose to stay at home rather than take advantage of something that they were entitled to. Our feeling was that school may have offered some more, um, I guess, one to one support and more supervision, uh, which Jake has certainly. Jake, I think would have been could have been, not would have could have benefited from, uh, but ultimately he's he's made the choice and we want to respect his decision rather than generating more anxiety for a different thing. Yeah, I think it would only have worked if he was on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We wouldn't have gained any benefit by forcing it onto him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what's what's your feeling uh, about the lockdown? Because when we talked about it, actually, your your feelings were mostly about the kids more so than yourself. Yeah, like, I I feel like I was very happy with the kids' teachers and everything. Like, I was very happy with where they were in the school, and I thought they were going to have a good year. So, to lose, basically, the majority of term two... Like, I may have said before that um, Matt was there for eight days, and Jake was there for nine days um, in term two, and it looks like they're going to lose, basically, all of term three... It could have been a really nice year for them if this hadn't happened. That I think this hasn't been, you know, the year I had wanted for them. Mm. For me, I don't know. Like, my main problem is that I'm not getting alone time or the ability to go and interact with people socially. So, I think, like, if there wasn't the coronavirus um, shutdowns, like, if we were in a different state, I probably could get that social interaction. Um, but I think you would still probably be home. So I wouldn't really be getting the alone time. Yeah. Uh, so the kids might not be here, but I'd still have, have you working in the space where I'm not used to you being. And that was always going to be the case for probably at least 18 months. Mm. Yeah. We, we decided that if, should we ever move and should we ever, um, have the opportunity to build a new house, we're going to have two studies instead of attempting to share the one study because we are not good at sharing. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully there will be some movement to, um, more remote learning. Like I, like one of my friends a number of years ago, because he was quite capable and high up in a organization, he was able to negotiate to work from home from a state that wasn't the same state his office was in. Yeah. And it was a remarkable deal because it had never been done before and he went out of his way to keep it all hush-hush because I think it would seem that he was so good at his job 
and so, and his job was designed in such a way that his presence wasn't really necessary, that it was um, feasible. But I don't know if the organisation necessarily wants to replicate that with everyone. <laughs> it's just yes, a little bit unfair. But I guess the question is, why wouldn't they want to replicate it? Like, now that we've gone into coronavirus, there's probably most of those people who they didn't want working remotely who are working re- remotely. Like, I have another friend who, um, because his son is... Um, enrolled at a Victorian school and because it's been remote learning has actually been in New South Wales for like he went to New South Wales for the last holidays and hasn't had to come back because he's working remotely for a Victorian company and his son's working remotely through a Victorian school but they don't actually have to be in Victoria to do so Mm. Uh, so I remember hearing about like the idea of Facebook advertising particular remote jobs saying we don't care where you are we want the best person. Mm. So everyone apply and just work from where you are rather than us getting the best person in a certain city or who can move to a certain city. So I feel like in the future, we will hopefully move move more to remote learning, which means a house that actually has enough space for two people to work at home is probably going to be the new home design going to the future. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible. Um, I guess, you know, talking about the idea of why have we not gone to this point, the reality is that people become entrenched without even realising it. When given the choice between changing and not changing, a good portion of people will choose not to change, even if it is the less logical or less productive option, because there is uncertainty that comes with change. Um, now, that's not an excuse. It's simply a reasoning, but it is how it is. And once again... What well, sorry, I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but I, I get confused between what we say on, on record and what we say in conversation. One of the very, 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 very few bright spots in coronavirus is that it's forced us to reevaluate how we do things. It's forced us to look at what is really important in terms of our employment, in terms of our social needs, in terms of our emotional needs, and it's given us a sense of priority. And certainly, for, you know, I imagine that this is. This is essentially our Great Depression or our World War for our generation because that's, I I imagine that the emotional impact, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily comparing the level of disaster and loss per se, but if we look at it from an emotional perspective, what's happened is that it's forced us to reevaluate ourselves and our lives and decide um, what's important and it's going to have long-lasting impacts on us going forward and on what we teach our children as well. Whether or not it'll necessarily apply to the next generation is really a, a big question. Well, I think you probably could compare it to loss because there are probably countries who have lost more people in coronavirus than wars. Like, I think a while ago I heard that America had reached the point where they'd lost more people to coronavirus than the Vietnam War. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know whether it's got to the point of a world war, but with the way America's going, it could. Mm. So the loss of life could be just as bad as a war or or worse Mm. worldwide. So this topic has probably gone a little bit off the rails compared to what we originally intended, but let's wind which is it back. what happens to all our topics. Yeah. <laughs> but let's let's wind it back a little bit. So quality and fairness. Um, I I can imagine that with such radically different government approaches. I mean, within within a country alone, but obviously across the world, different responses to the exact same issue. I, c- I can't imagine how people must be feeling. If you did have autism and looked, and you were being, your life was being negatively affected, you know, your natural question would be, why me? Why am I being punished? 
Yeah, because I think autistic people do often have a very black and white sense of morality. Interestingly, when I was studying gifted education, they used to say gifted kids had a very, you know, strong sense of justice. And I do wonder if that was maybe autism mixed in there, sort of the Asperger's kids were common among the gifted kids, so it kind of created this sense that the gifted kids were like that. Or maybe it's something the gifted kids have that autistic kids also do have. I've always had the feeling that having autism was being extra human. So having certain features of your humanity magnified, both positively and negatively. Um, you know, there are jobs out there where having a, um, a hyper-reactivity to sensory stimuli, so, for example, having a really keen sense of smell, is, can actually get you a job. And, but it's really just about finding a way to channel those features of yourself into something that can be productive. And unfortunately, a lot of that is luck. Uh, in terms of what you come across, what uh, what you're exposed to by your school, by your parents, by your social groups. And so there is often a lot of unfairness in that if you put two people with autism side by side with the exact same degree of um, both, I guess, uh, strengths and weaknesses, let's say, the it doesn't necessarily matter on the individual level if the environment is different. The environment plays a great um, uh, has a great impact on how well a person functions. And, I, you know, that would be quite unfair, I imagine. Yes. But I also think that, like, having a strong sense of fairness can be a problem because it is, to some degree, subjective. Mm. And two people could disagree about what is fair. But if both people have autism and are very, like, black and white about fairness in their subjective view, mm. it can cause a lot of problems. So, lately, uh, whether it's because of sibling rivalry or whether it's because of lockdown or whether it's because of a bunch of different things, Jake and Matt have been fighting uh, quite a bit. And, and again, we acknowledge that they're siblings, so this may be perfectly normal, but the idea of equality versus fairness has certainly cropped up a few times. Yeah, so I think um, because you didn't have siblings, whereas I did have siblings, um, and I'd say that my siblings probably had autistic traits, mm. <laughs> like me. So um, growing up with siblings with autistic traits, or just siblings in general, can be quite difficult. And I think, yeah, if you have autism or autistic traits, and your siblings do as well, it can be a very frustrating situation to be in. Mm. Um, so I think... Sometimes Jake and Matt get frustrated at having an autistic sibling, even though they are also autistic, which I think I may have spoken about before. Uh, but I think it is causing problems with fairness um, because their view of fairness is kind of subjective. Yeah, let, let's put this in context. So we've spoken before about the game Roblox. So... Um... One, there's a game within Roblox called Dungeon Quest. And one of the tricks in order to level up is to have uh, some other player carry you up a mountain. I honestly don't know the exact details because it, it bores me to death. But So basically, I'll explain it. <laughs> um, so basically, you go into a level with someone who is a much higher level than you. And they kill everything while you just stand there. Uh, but you get an equal share, share of 
experience. And if you're a lower level, that experience will shoot you up the levels. So is that what they mean by carry? So yeah. they don't actually mean carry like literally no, lifting someone up? No, not like up. literally lifting someone up a mountain. But it's I, cute that you thought that. <laughs> I thought I saw them do that. Okay, there we go. This is how little attention I pay to when they play games. So yeah, so it's a metaphoric carrying. Okay. So yeah, you go into a level... The person who's a high level, it's a level that's easy for them, but an appropriate level for the other person. The high-level person just casts one spell to wipe that entire army. The person who's a lower level gets lots of experience for doing nothing. Right. So... The fact the entire game seems to have become about doing that, I do... It does worry me slightly. I'm, I, I kind of say to them, is this game fun? Like... Mm. Like, I'm not sure I'd really want to play a game. Like, I remember when I was younger, there was a game... Like, I was, I was emulating, so a bit of a naughty pirate. Um, but I was emulating games that I couldn't legally play. That's generally how I do it. Uh, if there's no way to legally play a game, then I, I will emulate it. But I was emulating a game, and something went wrong. And it was like a cheat had been put on permanently, and I was, like, immortal. And I got so bored, I just gave up on the game. <laughs> because there was no challenge left. So I, I look at the kid's... And they're sort of them and their friends. It's not just them. It seems like everyone in the game, like they're talking about strangers just saying, don't carry me the other day. Mm. Um, it seems like everybody has just turned this game into a game of finding a higher level person to just give you experience while you do nothing. Mm. So you're either underleveled or overpowered. And no one's playing the game how I imagine it was intended to be played, which confuses me. But people find ways to play games in their own little way. Some, some of them are designed to have some degree of variation. I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree that this game seems utterly pointless. I feel like it's turned into a number generator. It's just watching numbers tick up. Which in and of itself is an achievement... Not an achievement, can be a goal. Yeah. Like, if you look at... Um, you know, gr- any game that requires grinding, sometimes it is just about earning the money. And then maybe... Because I think that getting them to the higher levels does get them access to other levels. So Which they is... then get a higher level person to carry them through. <laughs> yes. Okay. So if you end up in this cycle of just carrying and not carrying, then yes, it ends up being a little bit pointless. But what's happened with Jake is that Matt has been carrying one of their mutual friends. But their mutual friend... Seems to have paid a subscription or some some sort of money so that the amount of experience that he gains is greater. So he's invested, either his parents have paid for it or he's used some own sort of pocket money or whatever, however it's happened. Yeah, because some, so Robux is this currency in Roblox and people do ask for it for their birthday. Yeah. So he, so even when Matt is carrying this other friend uh, and Jake at the same time, this other friend will gain more experience inherently, which then brings out Jake's what I uh, uh, interpret as being jealousy and sen- an innate sense of justice, in that he feels like uh, the amount of experience should be equal between himself and this other friend. But the problem has become he's put that responsibility on Matt. So it's not an issue. We've tried to explain to him the di- distinctions and we said to him, well, if you want to spend some of your birthday money on some Robux, you're welcome to do so. But what he's gone and done is decided that it's someone else's responsibility to fix it for him rather than his responsibility to learn to deal with it. Yes. Like, I, I can kind of see how it's an abstract idea to sort of say, okay, so you and this kid both had money at some stage, but you spent the money on something else, and this kid spent their money on the Robux, so that's why they have the VIP. Mm. 
that is a bit hard to understand when you don't actually see the other kids live. Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously we know that one of the fe- one of the potential features of autism is difficulty with empathy. It's not impossible, and it's not a you know a key criteria, but it can be a difficulty. Um, and I think that's where this is coming from, where all that Jake is seeing is his own need, or what he interprets as a need, not being met, which is the need for fairness, the need for things to happen equally. He is getting a lot better than he used to be, not on this particular topic. This particular topic is very fixed on, but on other topics, I think he is understanding the difference between fairness and equality, whereby if Matt has something, but Jake doesn't want it, he used to be like, well, I want it because Matt has it. Whereas now he's understanding that there are some things that they just don't both want, and that's perfectly fine, um, and he can learn to let go. But for some reason, this Roblox thing is just, he's really having a lot of trouble letting go. Um, And, you know, trying to teach your child, I mean, any child, taking autism out of the equation for a second, but trying to teach any child about the concept of justice and the idea of fairness can can be a challenge because, you know, ideally, you'd like to think that everyone gets treated fairly, but what does fairly mean? If you then think about equality on a philosophical level, equality is you know, a handful of stone throws away from communism. Because if everyone was the same, then, uh, you know, nobody's special. So it's that those kinds of nuances are really tricky to try and make a child understand. And I imagine that a generation above us might have just said, it's not your business, shut up, or something, something along those lines. But when you're trying to have open conversations with your child, when you're trying to inform them without necessarily overwhelming them, it's really, it's a challenge to find that balance. Yeah, I agree. I remember a drawing of three children of different heights trying to look over a fence. And there was, so there was these three kids, they're trying to look over a fence. And then there's one drawing where they're given the same box to stand on. Another one where they're given different boxes to stand on, which makes them all be able to stay over the fence. Mm. And that always stood with me. It's like, you know, if you give everyone the exact same box, you're kind of ignoring the fact that everyone is different. Mm. Um, so I think one of the things with ro- bo- uh, roadblocks is that, you know, Jake may play three different games and Matt may play one game. But he expects to be the same level as Matt in the one game Matt's played and doesn't think about the fact that he's played two other games for a certain amount of time. Mm. Uh, because he thinks it's only fair that they all be they be at the same level in any game he decides that he wants to play, even if uh, Matt's already been playing that game for a while. Mm. See, just just to go back uh, to that, that metaphor about the fence. So my my boss at my, my work has used that same metaphor as well and applied it to the concept of uh, disability health in general. So the idea that people with a disability of any kind, whether it's physical, developmental, cognitive or otherwise, um, the amount of help they need is greater in order to create a quality. It's not about mm. giving them the same amount of money as other um, in-need groups. Uh, but she took it one step further and says, actually, what we really want to do is knock the fence down entirely. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. I've, I've also had someone say that, you know, it's not it's not equal if everyone needs to climb five stairs if one of them is in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so equality uh, as a concept, I mean, the, all the nuances of these sorts of things is really, it does your head in. It really does. And I know that on, on a good day, I can accept some injustices. I can kind of let go and recognize, you know, that um, I like put things in perspective. Not every day, and particularly when I'm in a bad mood, I kind of, I often have the thought in my head is, why do I have to put up with this when other people don't? Or why am I doing all the work when these when other people aren't wanting to do the work? And obviously there are there are varying ways in which that presents, whether it's, you know, uh, home or work or relationships or friendships or whatever, but it's um it's this really inherent thing that I I wish I didn't have. And I do wonder whether neurotypical people have this idea as well. You know, because we're seeing a lot of people in this lockdown time being quite anti-authoritarian. Isn't quite what I want to say. <laughs> well, again, perspective, right? Because I, you know, there, there's this whole anti-mask movement, and uh, don't get me wrong, I don't like wearing a mask either. But I know that it's the thing to do to protect other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and also protect myself the, to some degree, but. And I and to some and so I to some degree I can kind of empathise with other people, but to go so far as to say, well, my needs, my need to not wear a mask is greater than your need to not catch an infection, is that that frustrates me, and I don't know whether that's that's something that we should all be feeling or whether this is my inherent sense of justice. Yeah, it is a hard one. Like I, I did see a cartoon this morning that basically had this woman. She's like walking past, like refugees and she's like that's fine and then black lives matter she's like that's fine and then she's walking past like 10 year olds in jail she's like that's fine and then she goes to bunnings and it's like you have to wear a mask and she's like human rights <laughs> <laughs> i thought yes that that is kind of how it feels yeah um that you know some people don't care at all about other people mm. they only care about themselves um i think one of the problems with the anti-masking thing is that and this is, this is something that has applied to a number of things that I've kind of been aware of for a while, is that sometimes, um, like, one, one of the reasons not to wear a mask is actually autism. Mm. Like, autistic people can opt to not wear a mask because they it's uncomfortable for them through and, autism. And as an extension of that, interestingly, so there is an exemption to the mask where wearing a mask poses a risk to this, to your safety, which applies to disability support workers. So when they're looking after clients who have, say, level 3 uh, autism spectrum disorder with some degree of intellectual disability, it's quite unsettling to see someone that you're familiar with all of a sudden become unfamiliar with the application mm. of a mask. So there have been lots of cases of um, of people with disabilities, like pulling off the masks of their disability support workers because it frightens them and the, it generates anxiety not being able to recognize the person you're familiar well, with. Well, I have to say, we once went to a music class. I think this was after you stopped coming when it was a bit more manageable for me. We went to a music class um, and their teacher, like, so it was a group called uh, Mini Maestro. So the teachers always wear yellow shirts. Um, and the teacher was wearing like a black cardigan over her yellow shirt. And Matt actually got kind of distressed. And I actually asked her to remove her cardigan. And she she was like, she knew about what was going on. And she also had a special needs daughter. So she was fine. She took off the cardigan. But yeah, I think if Matt was thrown by the fact that she was wearing a cardigan, I can definitely see why a carer for someone with intellectual disability would not be able to wear a mask. And I think um, I was listening to Corona Cast with uh, Dr. Norman Swan. 
and he was talking about the actual dangers of moving elderly people out of aged care into an unfamiliar setting and how it can basically set off I can't remember, like it's delirium oh okay and it can actually cause them to die from being from kind of just losing touch with reality is this elderly people with dementia or any well like basically it, it was kind of there like moving them on mass yeah so presumably um if you move an entire you know aged care facility because there's been one outbreak into hospital mm. it wouldn't be every person but it, there's probably a spectrum of dementia within those patients. Mm. So it would affect them differently. Um, but he was basically explaining why they don't just stick all the aged care people into hospitals at the first sign of anything, which I thought was very interesting because I didn't know about that at all. Mm. Um, but what going back to what I was going to say is that I worry that, especially with, say, autism, because it's an um, invisible disability, if this kind of anger at anti-maskers gets much worse, that people who have a legitimate reason why they can't wear a mask will be targeted. Mm. And I I worry about that. Because I remember um, one of my ex-students, who I think worked in hospitality one day, was like writing about, you know, parents not being able to control their children. And I wrote, you don't know these par- people's family. You don't know whether that child has autism. Like... You, you see a child running around the restaurant. I know it's annoying, but you don't know if that's a naughty brat or a child with autism. You can't tell that from just from looking at them. Yeah. This might be the only chance these parents have had to get out of the house. Like, it might have taken hours to plan and work around to get out of the house. And their child may be causing a disruption. And yes, I get that it's annoying to other people, but don't assume everyone's in the same like brat boat. And I worry that with the um, anti-mask anger, which I can see is justified in certain degrees, like if you're running around Bunnings um, recording yourself to wait until someone asks you to wear a mask, Mm. you're probably not, you know, a legitimate person just trying to go about their business. Yeah. Um, But I don't want to get to the point where, yeah, people are verbally abused on the street by strangers just for not having a mask on because they might have a legitimate reason. Yeah, which is which then is funny. So the other uh, news story uh, of today and recently is Queensland is now having a rash of cases because mm. of some very irresponsible um, young women yeah. who decided that the rules didn't apply to them and they you know actively lied in order to get their needs met. And they yeah, I heard today that not only that they lied, they apparently destroyed their mobile phones in it to avoid detection. Yeah. So they and so they've gone and caused things. And interestingly, while certain news outlets have avoided revealing their identity, other news outlets, particularly newspapers, have gone and named and shamed them on the front page. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, you want to look at it from this sense of justice. In the sense of from a justice perspective, you think, all right, well, you did something wrong. This is your punishment. Um, and at the same, but at the same time, the question really should come up: Why? Like, why Why did these people come to this point? And do they necessarily deserve the amount of crap that's about to rain down on them? Um, because there is this amazing book uh, called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by uh, John Ronson, I think. I, I feel I've got that name wrong because I, I think I keep getting him confused with Mark Ronson, who's a DJ and producer. Okay. Um, I think his name is John Ronson. Anyway, so and what, what this book does is it, it follows the lives of some people who have been publicly shamed and what happened afterwards uh, to their lives. And 
for the most part, their lives were destroyed unless they were rich and didn't care and were slightly psychopathic, in which case their life kind of went on. But these girls are most likely about to face some real, real stuff raining down on them. Mm. Um, and so how far does justice go? Like how? Obviously, the authorities aren't necessarily going to do anything. Aren't going to bring anything necessarily. Or they might. Maybe they will. But that's oh no! Even... I think they're being charged with fraud. Well, there we go. But that's not even the worst of it. Like their their lives. They're always going to be known on the internet if they because their names are out there as these women who brought coronavirus back to Queensland. Yeah, I think we had a discussion at some stage whether the Ruby Princess could actually keep its name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And the answer should really be no, because, it, I mean, not even just from a naming and shaming thing, but from a PR perspective, yeah. no no person is ever going to go on a ship called the Ruby Princess ever again, yeah. just because of the pure association. It doesn't matter how, you know, if you uh, soak the whole thing in an ocean of bleach, it won't matter. Mm. It's still called the Ruby Princess. And people, again, when given the choice to do something different, to change or to do the same thing, they'll still stick to what they know, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah, which... Interestingly, from a legal studies teacher point of view, there have been children who have murdered. And it ha- actually kind of has been this kind of thing about whether they should be allowed to recreate their identity after they've served their time. There's a, there's a whole movie about it. Boy A. Have you, have you heard oh, of that okay. one? okay. I haven't seen Boy A. Um, it stars someone who ended up being famous later, and I can't remember his name either. Um, oh, uh, Andrew Garfield. It starred Andrew Garfield, who oh, played okay. the second Spider-Man. And, uh, yeah, he was, it was a, exactly that. So what had happened was a, a boy had committed murder as a child, um, grew up to be a teenager, but had been given a new identity and moved to a new town, sort of witness protection style. But he gets discovered, so someone manages to link it back, and it's about how his life is kind of destroyed after that. Um, yeah, it is, again, what is justice? Is, is justice the right to rehabilitation, mm. or is justice the punishment for your actions? And it could be a little bit of both. Uh, I guess to some degree, but they don't, they don't coalesce, you know, you kind of have to live with both and one impedes the other, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we were talking earlier about the idea of, I guess, charging people who spread coronavirus through very unreasonable actions and whether that would, like, it wouldn't really, the point is not to punish them because they're probably not a danger. They're not like a danger, like, someone who has committed murder need, might need to be moved, removed from society for the protection of society for at least some amount of time. But as a disincentive to other people to do stupid things. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with these girls if they get charged with fraud. And if they actually end up in jail, that would be interesting. Mm. And also, eventually, there'll probably be some findings on why Victoria has ended up in this state and then may it may get traced back to a person who did a very stupid thing and has led to like thousands of people getting coronavirus and probably hundreds of people dying and does that person should that person be you know made responsible made responsible for all of the death and destruction and economic issues they have caused by doing a stupid thing that maybe a number of people would have done but got away with because they didn't happen to get coronavirus while doing it. But this, but that that brings up a different argument, which is that, and I think that this is... I don't know whether this is an autism thing or not. I think it might be. Um, but the idea that 
we keep seeking a singular answer. Well, yeah, we keep seeking control, which I think is a very autistic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's this entire idea of conspiracy theories is about if you can blame someone, then things are in control. Well, it's not even about blaming. I think more specifically, it's about having a symbol or a figurehead to blame everything on. Mm. So it's, it's one thing to be able to have multiple explanations, and, and sometimes it kind of makes sense, but ultimately it's it feels much more comforting to say, oh, this one person is the reason for everything, therefore I feel better knowing there's an explanation for everything. Now, obviously that can be good and bad. This may be how we have religion, but that's another a much bigger discussion. But if we look at it from a conspiracy theory point of view, my, my feeling is that that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, but it's also probably where terms like the China virus and the Victorian wave are coming from. Yeah. Which are probably not very productive ways of speaking. And then if we dial it back to the idea of, of justice and equality and whatnot, part, then what that means is that people target, well, like people who, are, who feel that their personal rights are being infringed upon, then go, all right, well, this person is to blame. Therefore, if we get rid of them, mm. um, you know, then it'll all be over. Or if they were never there, this would have never happened, right? Yeah. When that's complete conjecture... And that's not how viruses work, because viruses don't care about justice and equality and fairness. Um, Interestingly, after the election, there's a lot of people saying, it's all Queensland's fault. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have Queensland, but that might be actually more measurable. Yeah, maybe. Um, all right. I think, look, ultimately, this, this topic is fairly expansive and I think we've gone on forever, but we probably should try to commit to our, our attempt to keep things at around 30 to 40 minutes. Um, so how would you wrap up this topic? That some things in life are not fair and the coronavirus or I guess any global pandemic is not fair. It's not going to be fair. Even in Victoria, the statistics are that it's affecting poorer neighbourhoods more than richer neighbourhoods. Mm. richer people can work from home more than poorer people that's been shown like yeah like the the richer suburbs are probably full of people who can work from home and the poorer suburbs will be full of the people who create their food mm. or serve them their food so it's not fair um and it's okay to admit that i think yeah and I guess for me, looking at it from a parenting perspective, I know we've talked a lot about very personal and societal kind of things, but as a, as a parent, I think that teaching your child the concept of fairness and as distinct from equality is really important and really teaching your child to have perspective. Now, again, you can teach a child whether they learn it is a completely different uh, thing entirely. Um, but I think it is valuable to recognize the um, the lack of clarity around the concept of fairness and justice, and that there and how difficult it can be to distinguish between um, a personal sense of justice versus an overall sense of justice, because personal justice is about our rights, whether it is our right to leave the house, whether it is our right to have what we want, um, is is very different. And recognising the difference between selfish needs versus what is genuinely fair, you know, giving your child that perspective, mm-hmm. that's something that takes work and repetition and adaptation to each unique scenario, because every scenario is going to be a little bit different. So I think, and particularly if you have a child with autism or, or if they have additional needs that do impair cognition, it's a you know, part of it is going to be about accepting that your child is going to struggle a little bit with that because it's hard enough for neurotypical people. It's really hard for neuroatypical people. And giving giving them that sense, that sort of 
leeway, accommodating for that fact, and just recognize that it's going to be, it's a little bit harder for them to understand, is going to be important because they can get there. You just have to find a way to explain it in a way that makes sense to them. So that's the end of the show. Uh, thanks for listening. We did go a bit longer than expected. Sorry about that. But we hope it was either entertaining or enlightening or if it enraged you, but, you know, ignited some sort of passion in you in a positive way, hopefully. That's great. We don't, you know, we, we uh, accept constructive negative feedback. Don't love anger and rage. Um, so, but we do appreciate your opinion uh, and your connecting in with us. So if you do have anything to share, please find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Atypical Rainbow. So, so, so try to find us and um, hopefully you'll uh, seek out the next episode.